Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in collaboration with friends of the podcast and legacy specialists R&Q. Over the next 15 minutes, I will be joined by Mark Holm, claims manager within the insurance services division at R&Q, and David Landrum, vice president, national construction and program business practice leader at Broadspire Services, a Crawford company. We will be discussing the management of claims for captive legacy portfolios, explaining who ultimately bears responsibility and control after a sale or transfer, some best practices to follow and in what circumstances the original captive parent may still provide some input. On with the pod though, and we start with David explaining the different ways captives can manage their claims. So, David, perhaps a, a good place to start would be if you could just outline for us what are the, the different ways that captives manage their claims and, and how does it vary between captives? Oh, that's a good question, Richard. Claims handling, I believe, is a major decision for a captive when they're engaged. You know, will the captive administrate the claims themselves or will they utilize an outside third party administrator, a TPA? I think when they making when they're making these decisions, you know, consideration should be evaluated, and, and there's three of those. What lines of coverage will be insured by the captive? What is the anticipated claim volume generated by these lines of coverage? And what types of resources and expertise are required to administrate the claims? If the captive is covering all lines, property, general liability, uh, automobile liability, workers' compensation in the U.S., cargo, inland marine, cyber, etc. It may take a substantial amount of expertise and a large resource to handle those claims. Even even if they pare this down, coverage and claim volume, it still takes a large amount of resources with numerous people uh, having a wide degree of expertise to handle those claims. You could even have both. Some coverages and claims being handled by the captive and others being handled by the and administrated by the TPA. You know, at this point, based on coverage, a few other considerations I think need to be addressed. The cost, adjusters licensing and requirements, state compliance, Medicare reporting, judicial expertise, claim and take reporting, and in-house claims handling, you know, is expensive. Besides overhead and the expenses, you know, adjusters will need the appropriate licenses jurisdictional expertise by lines of coverage, as well as meeting state compliance and Medicare reporting needs. You also need to establish a claim intake reporting process. So based on the answers derived from these considerations, it may make sense in using a TPA as the best choice for claims handling. How claims are handled, it, they should that should be an ongoing evaluation for, for a captive. Uh, decision as to who handles the claims will shift over time. Once the parent fully understands the volume of claims, resources can be either ramped up or pared down. Other evaluating questions to consider are, which claims handling process is working the smoothest? Which way is producing the best results in loss mitigation and loss cost reduction? Is it still cost effective? Another consideration comes to mind at this point, Richard. Many captive programs, depending on the coverage and program design, may allow its members to have a say in how the claims are gonna be administrated. So a risk management approach is in play. Um, some specific areas where members are involved are level of reserves and settlement consultation, use of legal counsel, uh, subrogation, special investigation surveillance, field case management return to work in the work comp area, 
other vendors or resources associated or utilized with, you know, to specially handle the claims and meet the needs of its members. So you can see there are numerous considerations in deciding how claims will be managed in a captive program. Fantastic. So we're going to be talking here, David and Mark, about particularly you know, managing legacy claims um, over the next uh, 10, 15 minutes or so. So David, what do you think is important to the to the buying party when they're considering purchasing a legacy portfolio with regards to claims? Uh, from the from the captive's position, uh, being the purchasing party, I think solvency of the reinsurance reinsurer would be the primary concern. A captive purchasing an LPT uh, is paying a discounted premium to the reinsurer to assume the current li- and future liabilities. Uh, a motivating factor for the reinsurer is the profit. Can they run off the claims for less than the book value? To do this, a reinsurer wants to take control of the claims handling. This in turn frees up the captive's capital resources along with reducing its regulatory capital investments or requirements. Solvency of the reinsurer is also important because the reinsurer, if they become insolvent or unable to fulfill their obligations, handling and paying claims, the captive still ultimately is responsible to its policyholders, which puts them back in the handling and paying of claims. Because of the nature of the lost portfolio transfer, Richard, how the deal is done, several other areas are important as well as from both a buyer and seller's perspective. The captive, it's the dollar amount of the discounted premium. From the reinsurer's perspective, was the premium obtained enough to cover the current and future liabilities? So are, are the current claims reserved adequately and how much IMBNR needs to be added to the current reserve levels? Is there an added cost uh, of moving from one administrator to the other? And what is it? What resources will be needed to harden reserves and establish appropriate action plans for the program? From a reinsurer standpoint, when novating into programs as a policyholder on a large deductible or law-sensitive programs, consideration as to who is the carrier and what agreements are in place are a concern. This will determine the amount of control the reinsurer has over the claims process. You know, will they be able to direct the claims process or will they only be allowed to associate with the carrier who's overseeing the claims that are being administrated? Thanks, David. That's a really good uh, introduction, I think, to kind of the different ways captives manage their claims and then some of the uh, perspective of the kind of buying party when purchasing a legacy portfolio. I want to bring in Mark now. Mark, um, from the kind of R&Q or purchaser perspective, how, how do you go about managing claims when a legacy portfolio is purchased? Once a program is purchased by R&Q, a claim specialist would work with the TPA adjuster to establish an appropriate action plan to control costs and facilitate the claim moving towards an ultimate resolution. This is a collaborative effort wherein R&Q can better understand the challenges that face each individual claim and adjuster. Obviously, the TPA claims adjuster is a jurisdictional expert and has detailed knowledge about the specific claim, claimant, and plaintiff attorney. The R&Q specialist would work with the adjuster to identify opportunities for cost savings and a path towards expedited resolution. The adjuster and the claim specialist would finalize an action plan and identify next actions that need to be taken. Once the action plan is in place, then the claim specialist and adjuster would review the reserves together to make sure that the reserves posted on the claim match the action plan and our ultimate anticipated cost to bring the claim to conclusion. 
Adjustments would be made to the reserves as appropriate. The claim specialist would also identify a timeline to follow up with the adjuster to review the claim and results of the next actions that were implemented. At the appropriate follow-up interval, the claim specialist would review the claim file online for an updated status on the claim and action plan. If communication with the adjuster is needed, then an email would be sent out or a phone call made. If the action plan needed to be updated or the reserves adjusted, then the specialist would review with the adjuster for an appropriate change. The process would begin all over again with next actions being identified and follow-up timeframes established. This process would continue until the claim has been brought to a conclusion. The R&Q claim specialist would be expected to review the claim three or four times per year. So what then, obviously, there's a, there's a handover, handover moment you know, when, the, when the portfolio has been purchased. What is the key to a smooth transition from the, the captive managing its own claim, whether that's through a TPA or not, to uh, R&Q being responsible for it? Very good question. Communication, a detailed action plan, and tracking for completion. On all legacy portfolio purchases, a project manager at R&Q would be assigned to the transaction, and a list of standardized receivables and action plans would be reviewed with each department at R&Q. Each transaction is different, so each list of receivables and action plans would need to be updated for each transaction and each department at R&Q. Each line item on the action plan would be assigned to someone within the department to follow up for completion and a date for completion established. Some examples of receivables on the claim side are as follows. Obtaining a claim service agreement, updating the agreement to include the new party RQ, obtaining updated loss runs and setting up folders for each claim, obtaining online access to claims, assigning the account to claim specialist, transferring state and Medicare reporting to the new entity, setting up the new trust fund and funding the same, reconciling claims payments between the seller and R&Q. These are just a few of the receivables that would be uh, assigned on the claim side. Another key component of a smooth transition is making sure that everyone is on the same page and everyone understands what is expected from them and at what level. Service instructions need to be detailed and precise with the TPA. The TPA needs to understand at what reserve level large loss reporting begins and at what interval R&Q will be looking for reports. Identifying what are the mechanisms for prefunding large payments, identifying who are the contacts at R&Q and the TPA. The TPA needs to understand the reinsurance retentions, reinsurance reporting levels, and intervals for reporting as well. We need to be clear with the TPA how funding occurs on claims with losses paid above retention. Will the carrier slash reinsurer be funding the losses monthly or will R&Q be funding the losses and looking for reimbursement from the reinsurer? I guess what confidence then, Mark, does, does the captive owner need to have in, in appropriate claims handling once they've handed, handed over or, or sold that book of business? Again, communication between the seller and or captive owner is imperative to a smooth transition for all parties to be involved with the transaction. I can have the best plan of action in the world, but if I'm not working with the seller slash captive manager slash owner and the TPA, something is going to be missed and or fall short of expectations. Upon confirmation of the sale, 
teleconferences and meetings need to occur so that all parties are aware of the sale and everyone's responsibilities post-sale can be established. Appropriate contact information needs to be exchanged. Post-transaction roles need to be established and responsibilities assigned. Funding needs to be discussed and claims oversight slash management needs to be established, especially if we're dealing with a quota share situation. If claims handling is moving to a new administrator, then timelines need to be established and organized. If the captive manager slash owner is going to maintain some claims oversight or some share of the losses, then it will need to be established as to who will be taking on primary role of communication with the TPA and how other parties will be associating with the primary party in the claims process. And I think you touched on it there, Mark, but are there instances where the original captive parent would stay in contact with the purchaser, the, the legacy partner over, over claims handling? Yes. In, in a quota share situation or, or if the original parent is the carrier maintaining licensing and compliance with the individual states, in a situation that the original partner is maintaining some financial interest in the runoff moving forward or maintains the licensing and compliance, then surely they would need to be some ongoing interaction between both parties. Typically, this relationship between both parties would be spelled out in the LPT agreement, would be discussed post-transaction so that the implementation could be seamless between all parties. Similar to what we discussed in the smooth transition, we would need to identify the parties involved in each party's role post-transaction. Thanks, Mark. That's really really good to hear about all of that because we talk so much about the process of um, companies such as R&Q buying captive legacy uh portfolios uh, so it's interesting to hear kind of what happens next regards to managing those claims and the ongoing management of the portfolio going forward i just want to end on a, on the last uh, on a separate topic david and that's um regarding ai and that's regarding ai and analytics um do you see much opportunity here uh, how ai and analytics can be utilized to improve the way legacy claims specifically are managed now and, and in the future yeah, Richard, more work needs to be done in this area. If it's going to improve the way legacy claims are managed now and in the future. My discussions with various carriers and reinsurers uh, who specialize in LPTs, they advise me they see very little results from AI or analytics in the claims handling. The reason being, by the time the LPT comes into play, open claims are aged. Most of today's AI and analytics are geared to address new claims coming in early on, especially predictive modeling. AI and analytics will help on a new claims coming in, but in this scenario, the new claims are the IBNR claims, and their expected volume is relatively small. The carriers and reinsurers selling the LPTs uh, are finding that having aggressive, experienced claim handlers still provides the best outcomes. Finding experienced individuals who can create strategic motivations and settlements when working with claimants is still producing the best results. However, there is a place for AI and data analytics when tracking how books of business are, and programs are going to perform in the future. For companies that buy legacy books of business, being able to better estimate the development and the reserves uh, along with IBNR will increase their profits. Uh, it allows reinsurers the ability to better price the transaction and better avoid adverse risk development. Finally, 
AI data analytics and data robotics can allow reinsurers to scale up their business. Using this technology for more mundane tasks, they can reduce the cost of adding additional analysts. For reinsurers, better analysis and lower costs lead to higher profits. Well, thank you to David Landrum of Broadspire and Mark Home from R&Q for that very informative 50 minutes on managing claims for captive legacy portfolios. For more information on all of our guests, our friends of the podcast, such as R&Q and full episode archive, please do visit www.globalcaptivepodcast.com. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. Mm-hmm.